for those who don't know me or don't know me very well yet. My name's Mark. I'm married to Deb. Give us a wave, Deb. We've got four children, two grandchildren, a dog, several chickens, two geese, and several thousand bees. And the day I invited me to bring the word of God to us this morning, and rather bravely, I thought, he's given me a free preach. In other words, he said I could bring whatever God put on my heart to bring. Now, after I'd finished rubbing my hands together with glee at such an exciting opportunity, I kind of asked God, what would he want me to bring this morning? My heart was to bring a message that would strengthen us as a people, that would equip us, that would build us up. And I just felt that he wanted me to speak to you this morning about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, the the vision of this church, of the elders here at New Life Community Church, is to see many lives transformed by Jesus, to be a pioneering church that helps to establish and support new communities of followers in Jesus, and to love and to support people who are struggling with the challenges that life throws at them. And I strongly believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are really valuable in equipping us and strengthening us as we work out this vision together. Now, I don't know if you've experienced this, but if you've been around the church long enough, you'll know that there's a whole language that Christians use that you probably won't hear outside of the church. I call this language Christianese, although I I can't take credit for that, and I can't even remember where I first heard it. But let me give you an example of the kind of thing that I mean. Some of you may know that Deb and I have been involved in leading worship for a very long time. And we're frequently involved in discussions about corporate worship. Does that sound a bit Christianese to you? But there's a really good reason that I'm bringing it up. The fact that there is such a thing as corporate worship means that there must also be something that is not corporate or, or personal. Worship that is personal. The word corporate comes from the Latin word corpus, which means body. And as we look at the Bible in a few minutes, we're going to see that there are things that are supposed to happen when we come together corporately, or as a body, that probably wouldn't happen if we were worshipping God on our own. Even though, if I can commend that to you, that is equally as valid and important. I wholeheartedly recommend spending personal time with Jesus, singing out praise to him. That's really, really good for our vertical relationship. This morning I'm talking about horizontal relationships too. And there's something a bit different that is supposed to happen when we come together, and that's what we're going to explore together this morning. We're going to be jumping around in the Bible a little bit, and mainly in the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, in chapters 12 through 14. But the verse that I'm really focusing, zeroing in, centering in on this morning, is 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26, where Paul writes this. What shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That's 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is life and truth for us and bread for us. Lord, help me bring something helpful this morning. 
Lord, if I bring something that's from you this morning, help us not to forget. If I bring something that's of me and of the flesh, help us not to remember that. Lord God, help me bring something helpful. Help us all to have ears to hear, hearts and minds to understand and apply what you want to say to your people this morning. For Jesus' sake. Amen. So I want to start by giving a little bit of context. Today's verses come from a letter that Paul wrote to a church that, despite being far from perfect, it was a success story. So Corinth was apparently the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, the capital city of its province, and and pretty wealthy. Paul had arrived there in AD 50 as part of his second missionary journey, and he spent about a year and a half there, which is about the same amount of time that he spent in all the other churches in his first two missionary journeys, all put together. In other words, Paul had really given himself to this church. He had invested a lot of himself into this church. But roughly three years later, Paul receives a bit of news that that kind of troubles him. And amongst other things, he learns that, in his own words, their meetings do more harm than good. And so he writes this letter as a response. Now the point is this. I want us to note, right from the outset, that this was a fruitful church, despite not being a perfect church. Because I I don't know about you, but I find that really encouraging. It's all about grace. Grace is the reason that the church in Corinth bore much fruit despite its many flaws. We can get so caught up in having this overly romantic view of the early church because of the way that the gospel seems to explode and, and have impact. But it's really good to remember that the church was then, as it is now, made up of imperfect individuals who are in the process, the process of being made into the likeness of Christ their Saviour, but who are not yet the finished article. And I, for one, find that really encouraging. So then it's, a, it's about grace. And that's a good place to start because the Greek word that we translate as spiritual gifts or gifts of the Holy Spirit is charismata. And that is literally grace gifts. Now Paul writes, when you come together. Now I take that to mean that Paul expects the church to come together as part of the normal Christian experience. He doesn't write, if you come together. He says, when as though he expects that to be the case. And the writer to the Hebrews seems to agree with Paul because he writes in in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So then there's this expectation that the church ought to come together regularly so that we can encourage one another and spur each other on. So this is the first thing that I believe that God wants us to see this morning. And it's the importance of meeting together regularly. Now Deb and I, we're really loving being part of New Life Community Church. And although we've had a particular affection for the church since it came into being, We've only recently been released into a position where we could come and actually get involved in what God is doing here and in our church family in Wimborne. 
Now, some of you know that before that, I was part of the leadership team at King's Church in Ringwood. And we had only recently gone back to face-to-face meetings, having spent the best part of 18 months doing our Sunday meetings via Zoom. Now, I know that the re-emergence from the COVID pandemic had a variety of effects on, on individuals. Some of us were really excited about meeting with other people, again, having had been cooped up for so long. But others were really an- anxious about it. And many people who had never experienced social anxiety before were perhaps experiencing it for the first time. And I have to admit that even still, there are some social situations where I'm not completely comfortable yet. And there were people at the church that I was helping to lead who who never came back after COVID. Now, there, there may be all kinds of reasons for that. And I pray that they are a part of a church, even if it isn't the King's Church. Because I fear that otherwise they are missing out on being built up, on being strengthened, on being encouraged. Where are they going to get that if they're not meeting like we are this morning? These are all vital things that take place when the church comes together. And that's why I believe the writer to the Hebrews warns us not to give up meeting together. Now please hear me very clearly here. This is about grace. So I'm not saying that we have to be at every meeting. But I do believe that meeting together is really important. And we're going to look look at why I believe that. Now, second thing, and probably this is the most important thing, I think, that God wants us to hear this morning and take note of, is that each one of us has a part to play. Paul writes that when the church comes together, everyone has It's a theme that he already developed in chapter 12. So I'm just going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 12 to you. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes each to each one just as he determines. Now, do you see the common thread that's running through these verses? Verse 6, in everyone, and then they're repeated, to one, to another, to another, to still another. Paul spends the rest of that chapter developing the body of Christ as a metaphor for the church. The inference being that just as the body is made up of different but equally valuable parts, 
So it is with his church. We are not the same, but we can all contribute. It's about unity rather than uniformity. Unity in diversity. Now there's at least a whole sermon just in those verses, which I haven't got time to develop today. But for the moment, can we just note that Paul's observation is that the meetings were not to be dominated by a single voice, with the majority of the congregation reduced to simply spectators. But it it should be a place where anyone in the room could start a song, or bring a contribution that might shape the trajectory of the worship. And that, I believe, is what he means when he writes, everyone has. And we saw in those verses that there are a variety of spiritual gifts that we might bring. And I just want to, you know, I can only just scratch the surface this morning. But I just want to bring a brief overview and then spend a bit more time on a couple of gifts that Paul seems to single out in his letter. Now, I'm, I'm happy to talk about this in more detail. Or you might feel more comfortable going to one of the elders. That's fine. I'm sure they'd be happy to talk it through with you in greater detail. And I'm also reminded that this, this list is not necessarily meant to be exhaustive either. But for what it's worth, this is my take. Firstly, they are gifts of grace from a father who loves his children. They are given. They're gifts. They're given. They're not earned. They are not badges of spiritual honour. Neither they are necessarily are they a mark of spiritual maturity. God can work in and through anyone he sovereignly chooses, whether they've been a Christian for a day or a lifetime. Also, these gifts are supernatural gifts. They're gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when they're working properly in our corporate setting, they make visible all three persons of the Godhead. The invisible character of God the Father is seen in the body of Jesus Christ, which is now his church. And they're seen in this body by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't operate in these gifts without the Spirit's power. So that being the case, this message of wisdom must refer to wisdom in our list. That's more than just a learned wisdom gained through experience, for example, even though, of course, that does have value. I think it's a bit more like the time in John's Gospel in chapter 8 when some Pharisees bring a woman who's been caught in adultery and they try and trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. They refer to the law, which says she ought to be stoned, And they push Jesus for an answer. So picking up the story at verse 7 of John chapter 8, they kept demanding an answer. So he, that's Jesus, stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to them, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now I believe Jesus was operating in the supernatural message of wisdom in that, in that context. So when it comes to the message or word of knowledge, I want to suggest it's a bit like when Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John chapter 4. And even though he's apparently never met her before, nevertheless, he was able to tell her, you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. 
And the faith referred to in verse 9, I don't believe that's the same as saving faith, although that also is a gift of grace. I think it's more like a surge of faith to see God responding in power in a particular situation. And although not necessarily the same as working of miracles, it might accompany the working of miracles and it might accompany a, a, a healing or a, as a response to a word of knowledge. In fact, in my limited experience, a word of knowledge, a gift of faith and a gift of healing can all work together. So maybe God in his love reveals to somebody some illness or pain, that's a word of knowledge. And then he imparts faith so that someone comes and prays for that person and for healing. God can also empower to distinguish between spirits. And I take that to mean an ability to discern whether the source of a spiritual manifestation is from God, by his Holy Spirit, from our own flesh, or imagination, or from an evil spirit. It's a bit like the slave girl in Acts chapter 16, who is following Paul and his companions about, shouting words that were true enough, but coming from an ungodly spirit. And Luke writes that Paul got so annoyed with her that he commanded the spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus. Now, I think the word miracle kind of speaks of itself, so I'm not, I'm not going to go into too much depth there. But before I move to application of these verses, I just want to talk a little bit about the gifts of tongues, interpretations of tongues, and prophecy. And the reason I want to do that is because, because I see that Paul Chunk devotes such a huge amount, a huge chunk of his letter to these gifts, especially in comparison to the other gifts. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but most of what I'm going to say now comes from chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Now, speaking in tongues refers to speaking in languages not learned or known by the speaker, but given and empowered by God. Verses 2 and 14 through 17 give us a flavour of what tongues are for. And I'm just going to add a little bit of my own emphasis here so that you can get my point. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who's now put in the position of an inquirer say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying. You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So these verses suggest that there are... Okay? I don't know what that one is. Verse 2 suggests that there are mysteries of God for which we are not able to find words. He's beyond our ability to describe. So whilst we can pray and sing and praise God and give thanks in our own language, there comes a point at which we run out of words to describe his greatness. And tongues are really helpful when we reach that point. But for tongues in this kind of setting to be helpful to our brothers and sisters, there does need to be an interpretation. 
And our interpretation of tongues is not the same as a translation. It's not word for word, necessarily. But instead, the interpreter is empowered by God to deliver the gist of what was just spoken in this unknown language. In other words, you can't say amen and agree unless you have an idea of what was just said. That's what Paul means when he says in verse 5 that the church is only edified if there's an interpretation. And I think that the Bible does draw a clear distinction between prophecy and tongues. Prophecy is God speaking to people, whereas tongues are people speaking to God. This is verses 2 and 3 again. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people. Now, the reason I'm drawing particular attention to this is that I don't believe that interpretation of tongues will take the form of the prophetic. I believe these verses teach us that interpretation will always sound like praise, prayer, or thanksgiving. Now, it, it does often seem to be the case that tongues will be a catalyst for the other, other gifts, and you often get a prophecy off the back of tongues. But I don't believe from what I see in these verses that an interpretation will ever sound like God encouraging his people, but it was going to sound a bit more like praise. Prophecy, however, is God speaking to people. Here's verse 3 again. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, for their encouraging and comfort. So since we are encouraged by the Bible to weigh prophecy, here are the measures I think we should use. Did the prophetic word strengthen, encourage or comfort you? And I'm, I'm going to add instruct as well because of verse 31. So if you didn't feel strengthened or encouraged or comforted or instructed, then we, we might have to ask, was that of God? Or it might not just have been for you. But it's good to weigh these things. And these are the measures I think we should use. And there's so much more that I could say about prophecy. But that's perhaps for another occasion. Suffice to say that Paul clearly had a very high opinion of it. Because he suggests that we eagerly, eagerly desire it. And I've not even touched on the fact that we are encouraged to operate all these gifts in agape love. The passage so beloved at weddings, including my own wedding, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I've really only scratched the surface here because what I really want to do is to move to some application. We can return to worship him and give God an opportunity to work in us and through us and put all this into practice. Because I don't think that a lot of this is going to be new to many of you. But I do think for some reason that God is bringing this back to the forefront of our thinking. For some, for some reason. I keep coming back to the verse that God really laid on my heart this morning. When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. All these things must be done so that the church may be built up that's God's purpose in granting these gifts to his people it's so that we can build one another up the church is made stronger when the gifts of the spirit are operating properly we're right back at what it means to worship corporately we're right back at what it means to be a body see Jesus did have a physical body one like yours and mine 
He kind of stepped out of heaven and he clothed himself in frail humanity. The creator of the universe and everything in it became a baby, grew to manhood, lived a perfect life, and he died without having ever sinned. And the same spirit that miraculously conceived, uh, enabled a virgin, sorry, to conceive, that same spirit who gave him life, raised he who died on a cross to eternal life. So whilst Jesus walked on earth in his physical body, he began a work to declare and de demonstrate that the kingdom of God wasn't just nebulously out there, but had actually arrived amongst us. And he established his church to be a different kind of body that would continue that kingdom work, which at NLCC looks like seeing lives transformed by his love and seeing these lives established and supported in communities and seeing those communities laughing and supporting people who, who find life challenging. Now, while I was pre preparing this message, I felt God speak to me prophetically through, as he often does, kind of like everyday objects. Now, I have to confess that I'm a bit of a geek. I love all kinds of geeky things, and you'll no doubt work out for yourselves if you spend any kind of time with me. But one of the things that I geek out over is technology. So, for example, I was quite an early adopter of the iPhone. I think I got my first iPhone back in 2008. So I reckon over the last 14 years or so, I've kind of got used to having to charge it up. And for most of that time, that usually meant plugging it in with a cable, which I usually try to hide from my children. I don't know what they do to them. They just seem to destroy them. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many cables I've had to replace in my family. But we've had a revolution in the Andrews household. Because Deb managed to pick up a wireless charging cradle, woo! <laughs> and I think it was from the middle at Lidl, or maybe it was Aldi. Uh, anyway, it was a bargain. So most nights I put my phone in its cradle, and in the morning, miraculously, it's fully charged. I didn't have to plug a cable in. Happy days. So earlier this week, I was kind of looking at my phone, and it's sitting in its cradle, and I felt God speaking to me through that. It was like he was saying that, yes, the phone sits in the cradle to get charged, but that's not the reason it exists. It doesn't exist to sit in its cradle. It exists to do all the things that it does when it comes out of the cradle and goes into my hand. I felt that God saying our meetings are a bit like this. As important as our meetings are, whether it be the Sunday meeting or a midweek meeting or a prayer meeting, Whenever we come together, that's not why the church exists. This is where we charge each other up, for want of a better expression. To do all the things that God calls us to do the rest of the week. Amen. When we're out in the world, with our families, with our friends, with our work colleagues, with our school and our college friends. So with that in mind, let me ask you this. What do you hear? When you read these words, everyone has. Do you include yourself in that? Are you coming to the meetings expectant that God might want to bring some form of contribution through you? What if he wanted you to speak out some praise in a tongue or bring an interpretation? Do you believe that he might give you a word of knowledge for somebody? 
Now, please hear me again. The Bible teaches that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So please do not hear in my questions any condemnation. But maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you. And maybe at some intellectual level, you agree with this teaching, but you're kind of just a, a bit afraid of moving out of your comfort zone. That's okay. If you're in a small group, that could be a really, really good place to practice moving in these gifts. In a setting that's somewhat less intimidating, perhaps, than something like this. So you can practice there. Perhaps put some appropriate music on in the background. It can be a really helpful tool. For example, in 2 Kings chapter 3, the prophet Elisha calls for a harpist to play whilst he prophesies against Moab. And can I encourage you to practice speaking in tongues and praying in tongues as part of your personal worship so that when we do come together, and let's just be prepared, it, it might get messy. Particularly if you've not done this kind of thing before, that's okay. Because we're going to trust our meeting leaders and our hosts, our anchors, whatever we like to call them. They're operating under the authority of the elders to kind of help us bring our contributions in an orderly fashion. Because Paul instructs us to bring two or three contributions at a time, then have an opportunity to reflect and weigh on what has just been brought. And for some of us, I know how manic Sundays can be. Just getting here can feel like a victory for some of us. I get that. But perhaps for whatever reason, you're being stirred to be expectant to see God doing even more amazing things amongst us. Let's be thankful for what he has done, but also believe that he wants to do even more for the sake of, of those around us who do not yet know him and to sustain, encourage and strengthen those of us who do yet know him. So do we want to see our brothers and sisters built up and encouraged in the faith? Yes. Then let's come prepared that our loving Father might want to glorify his Son by using us to do that very building up and encouraging by the power of his Spirit. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now we're going to go back into a time of worship in a minute. I'll get the band back up. There are several groups of people that kind of come to my mind this morning that might need to respond to this. So maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus and you've not received this new life that the Spirit gives. Perhaps something is stirring in you and you want to explore that some more. I'm happy to chat to you about that or uh, I'm also confident that one of the elders would also be more than happy to talk to you about that. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you're not sure that you can move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now I need to state very clearly I believe that if you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit now lives in you. But sometimes it's like he's a bit locked up inside and you just want some help unlocking that. Or maybe once you operated in these gifts, but for some reason it kind of just seemed to dry up. Again, I'm happy to pray for you if that's the case. Or I'm sure Tim would pray for you. So we're going to worship again. I'm going to be here if you want me to pray for you. Um, but for the rest of us, let's worship. Let's each of us, in light of what we've just heard, be open to what God might want to do this morning through us so that we can be a blessing to one another. Amen. 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 Amen.